over the, the past few months, the issue of race relations, immigration, integration, xenophobia, all of those kind of issues have been often in our, in our newspapers and on the headlines. This issue has been a, a key issue in the US presidential race. And many of you know about Donald Trump, Trump and his plans to build a wall to keep people from illegally entering that country. But also over the past couple of weeks, an American footballer, the guy on your top right there, a guy called Kaepernick, uh, has caused controversy by refusing to stand for the national anthem at the start of every game in protest over what he sees as racial injustice within the police force. And then over in the UK, the Brexit referendum uh, exposed many people's deep-seated fear and distrust of other nationalities and their desire to restrict immigration and control their borders. And then just this week, in Germany, Angela Merkel's party lost a state election by, uh, to a new right-wing anti-immigration party. Uh, maybe in, in kind of response to all of the, of the immigration into Germany over the last few, few months. It seems that many people are worried about allowing people from different, who are different from them, to get close to them and enjoy what they have. Now this morning, of course, we are not trying to work out the, the politics or, or, or the, the policies that would solve all of these problems in the world. But we are thinking about how, as a church, we should respond to our differences. Because unfortunately, the church has sometimes displayed that same kind of attitude that we were thinking about that's in the world. In 1960s, Martin Luther King Jr. claimed that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America. Actually, he didn't, he didn't come up with that statement. Instead, it was the evangelist, Billy Graham, who first made that statement in the decade before that, in the 1950s. I think it's hard for us to comprehend it when we read about these times, but at that time, segregation was the norm in the States. Even in Christian outreaches. I just really can't get my head around this. But Graham, he started to dismantle this. In 1953, for example, he stunned his organizing committee in one of his campaigns in Tennessee when he personally took down the ropes that were segregating the black and the white areas in his arena. But it seems like there's still a lot of work to be done on this issue. According to Lifeway Research published this just last year, Sunday morning remains one of the most segregated hours in American life. Even though that country is a multiracial society, more than 8 in 10 congregations, church congregations, are made up of one predominant racial group. And sadly, most people who attend those churches think that's okay. That's fine. Way back in the early church, things were pretty much similar to that, initially. Because the first members of the early church were all Jewish. Every single one of them were, were Jewish. And they all thought that that was okay. Jesus was a Jew and he had come to save the Jews. God's chosen people, the descendants of Abraham. 
According to Luke in, in the book of Acts, Philip was the first one to challenge this with his outreach into Samaria. But this situation really only changed when Peter received a vision from the Lord and discovered that church that God meant us to be is a comprehensive community. And we're going to read this chapter this morning, Acts chapter 10. We're going to read it in little sections. It's quite a large chapter, but I think it's good that we, we read it together. But we're just going to take it in little sections and just think about what we are learning from it. So Acts chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 1, but keep your Bibles open as we read down through it. Verse 1, at Caesarea, there was a man caught named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius? Cornelius stared at him in fear. Who? What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Cornelius was a religious man. He believed in God, in prayer, in generous giving. But Cornelius was not right with God. He was not a member of God's family. He was still in his sins and in desperate need of forgiveness. Like all Gentiles, he was separate from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and without God in the world. That's because religion, sincerity, good works can never make anyone right with God. We cannot save ourselves. So Cornelius needed to hear the gospel. He needed to hear about Jesus. That's what Paul writes in the book of Romans in a famous verse in verse, chapter 10, verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Basically, how can anybody come to faith in Christ if somebody doesn't go and tell them the gospel? But the problem was, who would tell Cornelius about Jesus? No Orthodox Jew would go and visit him in his house. Certainly they would never invite him to their house. They probably wouldn't even sit at a table with him. And so God spectacularly stepped in to coordinate a a carefully organised plan to tell Cornelius the gospel. The gospel of his son. And the first part of that was to send an angel to tell him to send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who's called Peter. Cornelius readily agreed to this. 
But the big question is, would Peter accept his invitation? Well, that was the next part of the plan. So we need to read on. Verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. Now, I don't believe that this is the usual way that God spoke to Peter. I think this is a very unusual way for an incredibly important message. As a careful Jew, Peter would never have willingly violated the food laws given to Moses, which distinguished between the kinds of foods that a Jew could eat and those that they couldn't eat. So when he saw this sheet with all kinds of clean and unclean animals on it and was told to kill and eat, his response was no. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. Of course, Jesus had already dealt with this issue. Way back in the Gospels, when Jesus was with his disciples, Mark chapter 7, it says this. Jesus was speaking, he said to his disciples, nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean. For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. It's not what we put into our bodies that make us unclean in God's sight. It's what comes out of our bodies, our thoughts, our words, our attitudes, our actions. Those are the things that reveal our sinful nature. And so keep us separate from God. So although, of course, it's a good idea to have a healthy, a healthy a diet. Of course it is. But we don't need to follow the rules and the regulations of the Old Covenant, of the Old Testament. As Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, these are a shadow. They point forward to the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. The Old Testament's point, a purpose was to point us forward to Christ. So if we have Christ, we don't need to go back to the law in the Old Testament and live by that. If we have Christ, if we have Christ, then we are being made clean in God's sight. And we don't need the law anymore. But the purpose of this vision wasn't really about food. That wasn't the primary goal of this vision. So we need to read on. Verse 17. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, 
The men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon Peter was and stopped at the gate. See how the way that God just coordinated this, just perfect timing. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them. For I have sent them. Just the right time, these men arrived from Cornelius. Normally, these Gentiles would not have been welcomed by Peter. Normally, he would not have travelled with them. But just as God had challenged Peter's prejudice about food, so he was challenging Peter's prejudice about people. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. That wasn't only true about food. More importantly, it was true about people. God loves the Gentiles too. So he wanted Peter to go and share the gospel with them as well. The gospel isn't only for some. The gospel is for all. And Peter obeyed. Let's jump down to verse 23. The next day Peter started out with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. In a week where the the Roman Catholic Church has canonised Teresa of Calcutta, here we have Peter refusing any kind of reverence or worship. Stand up, I'm only a man myself. Peter knew that only God deserves this, this kind of worship. Only God can answer our prayers. Only God is worthy to receive this kind of respect or honour or devotion. Only God. Peter was only a man. But he was also an ambassador for Christ. With a message that was crucial for everyone to hear. So verse 27 says, talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. Peter had listened to God and he'd accepted the word from God and he'd learned his lesson. In obedience to God's word, Peter and his six companions entered this Gentile home filled with all of his his family and all of his friends that Cornelius had asked to come along and hear God's word. Peter was there to share the gospel with the very kind of people that before He'd have done everything 
to stay well clear of. Everything he could to avoid. This is what the gospel should do in our lives. This is how the gospel should change our attitude to other people. Listen to what Paul said. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. So from now on, so from now on, we should regard, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Meeting Jesus had changed Paul's view, not only of Jesus, and it changed his view of people. Meeting Jesus meant that Paul no longer categorized people as clean or unclean, as loved or hated, as valued or despised. Instead, he saw everybody from God's point of view as loved and valued and precious in his sight. And he saw himself as having that wonderful honour and privilege of inviting everyone into God's family through Jesus. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is our job. This is our our role. We are called to be an ambassador for Christ. To represent Christ to this world. Irrespective of who they are, what they're like, or where they come from, we are called to live out God's unconditional, unlimiting, unending love for everyone. That's what we are called to do and to be as a church. And this is what Peter realised. And this is what Peter had come to do. And this is what he shared with them. Jump to verse 34, please. We'll just read this this quickly. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. This is Peter's message to Cornelius and the rest who were there. Then Peter began to speak. I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. Because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead 
on the third day and caused them to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him. That everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Amazing summary of what Paul said, uh, Peter said that day. We don't have time to kind of look in it, at it in detail this morning. But even just through a very, very quick read through, you can see that his message is all about Jesus. It's about his life, about Jesus' ministry, about his death, about his resurrection, about his power to save everyone who puts their faith in him. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone. Actually, this is basically the same message that Peter preached in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost to the Jews. It was the same call to repentance and faith in Jesus and that same promise of salvation. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But this time, Peter realized that it really meant everyone. This was not just an offer for Jews or converts to Judaism. It wasn't even just for the Samaritans with their compromised religion and their half-truth based understanding of God. This was an offer to everyone, whoever they were, whatever they had done, or whatever they had not done. And this is the gospel that we are called to accept, to celebrate. And to share. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew. Then for the Gentile. What an amazing gospel we have. That we can share with anybody that we meet. With the conviction, the knowledge that if they trust in Jesus, God will save them. This was Peter's message. But I don't think he was ready for what happened next. Let's read on, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. It's amazing that God didn't just wait. Wait for Peter to finish. He didn't get to finish his sermon that day. As Peter was still speaking, those who listened came to faith in Jesus. They turned away from their sin. And their dependence on their own efforts to make themselves right with God. And instead, they put their faith and trust in Jesus. 
as the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their lives. And as a result, these men and women were totally forgiven. They were declared righteous for all time in God's sight. They were accepted into God's family. They were guaranteed a place in God's house. And they received eternal life. Instantly they were saved. (coughs) Excuse me. Ephesians chapter 2 and 13 says this, In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Jesus, through the blood of Christ. And this reality, this spiritual and internal reality was proved to Peter and the other Jewish believers who, who could hardly believe what they were witnessing. Because they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Peter's mind raced back to Pentecost. When he and the other Jewish believers had received the Holy Spirit. And he recognized, as he said later on, that the Holy Spirit came on them. As he had come on us at the beginning. God was making it clear to them. His acceptance of these Gentile believers. Just like their Jewish brothers and sisters, they had been baptized by God's Spirit who had come to live in them. These people didn't need to become Jews to receive this gift. They didn't need to wait for it. They didn't need to work for it. They didn't need to fix their lives or sort out every problem that they had. They didn't need to come and have somebody to pray for them or to lay their hands on them. They simply put their faith in Jesus. And they were accepted by God and baptized by the Holy Spirit into his church. And this is the gift that God gives to everyone who trusts in Jesus. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. We were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks. Slave or free. As a result, we won't all speak in different languages. God has a whole load of different gifts that he wants to give us through his spirit. But the gift of the spirit is for all who will trust in him, his son. Peter was shocked by what he saw. But he understood what it meant. Verse 46, please. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then he asked Peter to stay with them. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. As we've seen throughout the book of Acts, baptism is Jesus' way for us to declare our faith in him and our membership of his family. And his desire is for all of us who have accepted him as our Saviour and Lord, that all of us should be baptised. (coughs) 
and should be baptized as our first expression of our commitment to him. So this morning, if you have trusted in Jesus, if you put your faith in him as your saviour and your Lord, I don't think there is any reason why you should not get baptised. To declare your faith in him and to celebrate what he has done in your life. And so Peter understood that if God accepted these Gentile believers by giving him his Holy Spirit, then what right did he have to refuse to baptize them? Even though these men had come from a different race and a different religious background, through their faith in Jesus, they were equally children in God's family. They were equally members of God's people. They were equally his brothers and sisters in Christ. So this is the clear message of this amazing event in the life of the early church. (coughs) Excuse me. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter what our race is, or our gender, or our religious background, or our age, or our economic status, or our culture, or politics, or dress sense, or lifestyle, or whatever else we might think of. God doesn't show favoritism. And so neither should we. Church, as it was meant to be, is a comprehensive community. We are called to love people with an unconditional love. We are called to accept people as graciously as Christ accepts us. We are called to fellowship with people, not because they look like us, or behave like us, or think like us, but because we've been united by one spirit into one body. To be a community where all the barriers and all the divisions between people in this world are just irrelevant. (coughs) And so to be a living declaration of the power of Jesus to save everyone who comes to faith in him. This is the church that we were meant to be. Is this the church that we're willing to be? Is this what we are committed to living out here in Enniscorthy?